Welcome to the Connection Podcast. This is a special episode. We're actually shut down for the month of July, but we're reliving some of our favorite moments so far. We've made 28 episodes in season one. Uh, thinking about doing maybe around that number or a little higher for season two as we start in August. And I have Tina Marchin with me here and Camille Keister. Hello. Hello. Welcome. So what we're, the format today is we're going to go over some of our favorite moments. We'll probably split this up into multiple episodes and just recap some things that we really enjoyed from season one. So I, the first question I had for you guys, and I'll answer this too, is what has the experience working on the Connection podcast so far been like for you? And then we'll start with Tina and um, sure. Yeah. So I was on, I don't know what, episode three or four, somewhere in the beginning. Yeah. Really early yeah. on where we were still, yeah, going through growing pains. Yeah. And I, w <laughs> I was super nervous. Like I didn't know, I, I think we talked about this before, but I didn't, I didn't really think I had anything interesting to say. So I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is going to be like. Um, but I loved coming on and sharing my story and I've been invited back a few times to co-host and that's been really fun. I, just learning about people. And then my kids get really excited to hear the episodes, you know, after I'm like, they were like, Oh, who were you talking with? And I'll tell them like, Oh, we're going to go listen to that one. Or, and we listen to them in the car a lot. Um, but it's just really fun getting to know people and what a cool space where my kids are excited to listen to people's testimonies, you know, cause we spend a lot of time talking about, um, about Jesus Christ and about our testimonies and, um, just sharing life experience and how that all fits together. And, you know, like to have four teenage kids say, yeah, I want to listen to somebody bear their testimony for an hour and a half, you know, like that's pretty cool. So um, it's been a really, really good experience. I've enjoyed it a lot. What about you, Camille? Um, I feel like, well, my experience with the show is a little more behind the scenes. <laughs> You've been on a couple of times. I've only so been on a couple of times. Um, and yeah, I think just listening to other people's stories and their testimonies and their journey through up until, you know, that point of life that they're in and how they got there. And I know it is something like we would look forward to when Jason was um, doing the recordings at the church, he'd come home and get them processed and we'd be like, is it ready? Is it ready? Can we listen to it <laughs> yeah. yet? And so we'd listen to it at like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And then, um, and then go to bed. And I don't know. It's just always something fun to look forward to. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool. I for me, it's it's on a personal level. It's helped me to better understand how to communicate people in a way that helps you truly get to know them. And I'm grateful for that. I I feel like it's a skill that every one of us who has been on this show we're starting to learn in our own life. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you feel that way too, Tina, but um, I find that people I've talked to as well, I just remember little parts about their episode and it, it has created this unique dialogue with between me and the people we've interviewed to where uh, we're able to just text every now and then and in the context of something that we talked about on the show, which I love. I think too, for me, something that's always been inspiring and, and humbling at the same time is, you know, it's a lot of work to put this together, but I'll, every time I'm starting to get tired and, and like, oh man, I don't know if I can keep doing this, <laughs> like <laughs> I'll get a text from somebody in another ward, like just recently, a couple of people in fourth ward who had no clue that this existed. And then they listened to like a dozen episodes and they text me and say, I, I couldn't believe that this existed and uh, thank you for doing it. Uh, I love the stories that people are telling. So I don't know, that keeps me going. Um, there are a lot of other things I could talk about later, just as far as experiences, uh, positive things that have come out of it, but it's been a cool ride. I'm, I'm grateful to everybody that's been involved to you, Tina, you, Camille, other people that uh, dedicate time to come on because that's no small thing. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah. And we're going to start our clip show. So first, I'll introduce the first clip, and then we're going to react to it. So that'll be the the format for today. So this this first one comes all the way back 
to episode one when we were using microphones with socks on them. <laughs> and this is this is Dave Glass. And we'll have to have Dave back on the show sometime, actually, now that we've gotten things figured out a little bit. But this is a clip where he talks about an experience on his mission where he encountered some dogs that attacked him. And this was a moment where he really experienced the the power of faith. Okay, so on here, you talked about a dog attack on your mission. Care to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, a, a pretty significant uh, event for me. And uh, I think people have lots of protection on their mission that they may not recognize as protection. But this was an overt incident of protection um, where my companion and I were out tracking, and that's what you did back then. Uh, there was a, a three-foot-high wooden fence, and you could see an uh, individual's house. You could see a man in his garage, and the garage set back from the house uh, maybe 30 yards. It was kind of deep into the property. Garage door was open. He was tinkering. So we're going to knock on the door and go in. Uh, we go inside the fence, and there was no beware dog signs or anything to indicate that we needed to watch for dogs. I just made it through the fence. My companion's getting ready to walk in behind me and two pit bulls um, come charging out of the garage. And it was very clear that they were going to attack me. Their, their ears were back. They were running at full force. You could see their muscles just rippling as they were charging towards me. And then you had the homeowner yelling, they're going to kill you. So those are all things we would call clues. <laughs> then maybe you want to leave. Just a hunch. <laughs> yeah, but, but I've never been overly bright. And uh, my companion immediately just got out. But at that very moment when I considered, am I going to run? What am I going to do? I had this, uh, this warmth kind of just uh, flow over me from my head to my toes. And I felt complete peace. And it was a, like a voice said to me, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. You don't need to run. So I didn't, and I had no fear at that point. And the first dog <clears throat> launched in the air, and I lifted my arm, my left arm, and it just the its head just kind of grazed underneath my left arm, and it hit the ground. The, the The second dog ran and grabbed my right leg. Then the first dog ran around and grabbed my left leg. So there, I had a pit bull on each leg, and I looked down. I could see their jaws flexing, and they were grinding, and they were trying to rip at my legs. And I really felt almost like, like somebody was just barely touching my calves. That's all, I felt. That's all I ever felt. And they were trying as hard as they could to tear up my legs. So I'm, I'm walking over to this guy that owns these dogs, and he's screaming, they're going to kill you, they're going to kill you. And I'm, I'm like, no, I'm fine. And he grabbed his dogs, pulled them off my leg, and there was uh, never any kind of damage whatsoever. It's crazy. It seems like that was a pretty big watershed moment where you had this cool spiritual experience. I'm just wondering the impact that had down the road. It, it did have impact, and there had been other things like that. But I think the biggest impact was that I recognized that when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there's a certain amount of power, and there's a certain amount of protection. doesn't yeah. mean you're always going to have that, but when you have the Spirit with you and the Spirit dictates and tells you something— Whatever happens is the best result. All right. So that was a pretty cool moment listening to Dave Glass and just the power of his testimony and faith in that moment. What What's you guys' reaction to that clip? I actually, I was thinking about how I would listen to this podcast, this episode when I was on vacation. So it's kind of weird how like your brain <laughs> kind of connects those two things, right? Um, so I remember this really detailed and like where I was standing and everything. So it's kind of crazy. But I was um, thinking during that, I've actually, I've been chased by a pit bull like that. And it's so scary. I'd never run so fast <laughs> in my entire life. Um, so just him facing off with that and then feeling the power of the spirit, you know, um, protecting him, that that must have been a crazy, crazy experience. Um, but I'm just thinking about, you know, times when I felt that kind of that calm, like they talked about that warmth, that you're in the right place, you're doing the right thing. And and I think that's something that 
you can always go back to. You know, that's a story that he's always going to go back to. And maybe that homeowner with the dogs doesn't remember it, but Dave's always going to remember that. And that's that's a, a really good way for him to remember and connect with God again. So I think about those same types of things with in my own life, like when I need something to hold on to, you know, it's like, I'll just remember those times. Remember that one time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it can be subtle and sometimes it can be you're facing something so epic, so difficult like Dave. And the peace that you feel is just immediate and almost overpowering. And and I think we've all, if we look back, had some sort of experience like that. Luckily, not getting chased by a dog or whatever, but, <laughs> but I, I think that we all have those experiences and, and you, you go back to that well, that spiritual well, when things are difficult. Yeah. I like that he talked about how he had no fear. And it reminds me of the at girls camp, we talked about our fears and mm-hmm. um, how we can still have those, but the the peace that Christ brings can be much stronger than the fear that we have um, if we let that peace into our lives. All right. So for this second clip, we're going to go through, we're, we're going to go in order for now. This is episode two. We talk with Lou Birdsall, and this was a story about her experience on her mission sharing the Book of Mormon. And I I remember this in particular, we'll, we'll react a little more after, but I, I remember this because of the amount of emotion and conviction she spoke with just during the episode. I think it freaked Drew and Lexi, who were the co-host, out a little <laughs> bit uh, because she, she definitely had a, a very passionate <laughs> look in her eye, very fiery look in her mm-hmm. eye. Uh, she shared the story. So we'll, we'll listen and react. When I was serving a mission in the Philippines, and um, that I was, okay, I think I was four months in the mission field and I was training a newbie. And so that was a little scary for me because we were placed in, in an area where it has been tracked by the elders many times. So it was a dead area, so they put the sisters in there. So and and the uh, and the commission we had was to look for leaders. The members will come soon, but look for leaders first because the church was new. We needed leaders. We don't have a stake. The district is way far away and all that stuff. So so that's what our mission president said. So we were looking for professionals. And in the Philippines, it's not hard to look for professionals because they have name tags on their gates, mm. like Jason Kister, medical doctor. That's how houses are in the Philippines, when, especially in the rich area. So that day, that week we were tracking, we needed to somehow teach somebody. So it was my turn to knock on this door. And I hated knocking on the door because it says lawyer. And then it's a criminal, a criminal lawyer. And then so we, we knocked and he was friendly. He took us in and he did, when he took it, he took us in because he looked at my companion first. He's white. She's white. So she's a Dutch American. So that was the reason maybe she let us, he let us in because, hey, I'm just a Filipino, another, you know, uh, low life Filipino in there. So then um, he took us in, and then we were talking about, uh, you know, introduced ourselves about the church and Book of Mormon and all that stuff. And then he listened intently to what my companion said. And then so then it was my turn to bear my testimony about the Book of Mormon. And I said, this is a true book. Uh, You know, this is a companion to the Bible. And it is more exact than any other book in you know about the gospel he was you know, explaining that it was translated by joseph smith the prophet and all that stuff and he was looking at me intently and he took the book and i said how old are you and i said i'm 21 what uh, what um so i said did you finish college not yet and then so I said, you don't know anything. 
I said, do you know what I who I am? He said, I am a criminal lawyer, and I know a lot of things. I know many things. You don't know anything. And, you know, he threw the Book of Mormon down on the floor. And that is a trigger for me because, hey, and then in my mind, in, 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 it says, when, when you meet people that are cruel, and you can confound them. Because as a missionary, you have the power to confound people. And it went in my mind immediately. I said, oh, my gosh. So I was trembling. I, took the, I picked up that Book of Mormon and looked at him straight in the eye. And I said, Mr. Ledesma, you don't know everything. In fact, you do not know anything about this book. This book is the truest book in the whole earth. You will never know, and you will not know because you refused it. And I am sorry for you. Took it and then and then left. I did not give him time to rebuttal, but I was just really angry in my heart. It wasn't angry, angry, but I wanted to confound him. So he he, he didn't say anything after that because we we walked away as fast as we could possibly. Get. And then. One block along the way, I started crying. I was trembling because that was my first time to confront somebody, you know, and a professional at that. And then the following week, we were attracting the same place again, and he called me. And I said, not again. I said, flagged me. I said, Sister, Sister Ghani, come here. And then I said, um, so hi, Mr. Ledesma, pretending I wasn't afraid. And then he says, you know, come here, I need to tell you something. And he said, okay. So we were friendly and he said, you know, there are a lot of missionaries walking up and down this road, a lot of elders and now the sisters. I will forget them all, but I will never forget you. And I said, thank you, sir. But but can I just leave this Book of Mormon with you? You may not read it because you know everything, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I left in the Book of Mormon, and that was the last conversation we had. I just like that um, when he, he like throws it down, like the way you said it is just like fight bells like started ringing, like, <laughs> like, like the dinger in the fight. Also, nobody else got this experience, but when she was saying that, she looked dead at me, and I got, I got, what was his name, Mr. Ledesma? I was about to say that. I got his full experience, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I hope our viewers know yeah, Lou, like, exactly. leaned onto the table and was staring dead in the <laughs> eye at Andrew. I was kind of scared. Like, yelling was at like, him. Drew almost wet his pants, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Close to tears. Might have to check yeah. later. All right, guys, what do we think of that clip with, with Lou? I just like the passion you can you can feel um, from her voice, and I remember being at in the room during that recording, and you, the the spirit was strong. I know, like when someone testifies of the Book of Mormon, you can really feel the spirit, and you can really feel feel it from Sister Birdsall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were sitting here listening to it together, and all just kind of reacted to her. That I was thinking, I just loved Lou so much. She just, she just has this kind of, I don't know. She has this way, right? Like when you listen to that story, I was like, that would not have been me. I would not have been like, listen here, you, yeah. you know. But she, she knows how to say it in a way that's powerful but not um, offensive. I don't, I don't know how she does it, but it's like she's not afraid to tell you how it is. But at the same time, it's like you don't come away feeling offended. You just come away feeling informed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like she she does such a good job of that. And um, I've heard her tell that story before, and I love her conviction, um, especially if you – in more in that episode, she goes into more of her past and how she grew up. And, um, and uh, they grew up really Catholic and – um, she was going to be a nun and all kinds of things. So to to hear that kind of journey from that to to this testimony of the Book of Mormon is pretty incredible. And she's got a lot of fire in her, and I I love <laughs> that. Like you just feel that testimony burning in her. It's so great. Um, I like how she in her faith journey, like we're talking about, Tina. She she developed her testimony, and then she just owns it. Yeah, I I feel like. Even on a personal level, something I struggle with sometimes is we can almost be a little apologetic about our belief. Mm-hmm. You know, 
if someone questions the Book of Mormon, we say, well, no, this teaches the same things as the Bible and kind of uh, almost apologize for what we believe. And I like how she just owns it and, and says, no, this is a true book. In fact, it's the truest book. And you're just going to have to accept that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to be more like that in the future. Well, we're going to go right on to our next clip here. So this is this is from Casey Westover. And we talked about a lot of interesting things during his episode, but one I wanted to highlight was a story about psoriasis and how he was treated for that, but also an analogy that, or a metaphor that he built for his recovery process and how it kind of relates to us experiencing God and experiencing the Spirit. You want to talk about psoriasis first? Sure, or this is a good time to talk gift? about psoriasis because it dovetails into this. Is this the lobster story? <laughs> Stop now. Okay, really quick, what is psoriasis? <laughs> All right, well, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, Bishop Keister, Dr. Keister could tell us what psoriasis is because I'm not sure I have a good definition of it, but um, I'll just tell you my experience real quick. I was swimming. I was trying to get healthy. Um, I was swimming. Uh, at the at the pool and I got out of the pool one day and I saw a couple spots on my body and I was like I, I don't know what they are I figured oh well they'll go away whatever they are they didn't they got worse they were on my chest they were on my arms they were starting to creep up my neck and there were just these red scratchy spots and they itched like crazy but I did not want to I didn't want to go to a doctor I just figured you know I'll just deal with it. So I started doing some research and I went to Google and they said one possible thing might be psoriasis, which is kind of a, it's like a, a plaque. I don't know. Is that? Is That's a good description. It's, it's in scaly, technically like getting a little nerdy with it. It's an autoimmune condition where your body produces antibodies against the skin. Okay. But what that really ends up being is just like you're saying plaques on the skin that can be just a few spots or it can be covering nearly your entire body. Yeah. Well, this blew up into my entire body. And as it spread, I started wearing long sleeves and turtlenecks. You know, I just didn't want, I didn't want to deal with it. And I found some online remedies and I tried those, but not really hard. And finally, finally creeping up my neck onto my face, into my scalp, I decided I had to get this dealt with. So I went to a dermatologist who happened to be a member of the church and his first question, and keep in mind, this was during the time that I had not yet revealed uh, that I was struggling with pornography. I was deep into my pornography issues. And one of his first questions, and this rings true to me just because I, I was listening with spiritual ears, struggling with this. And he said, well, do you spend a lot of time in the dark? <laughs> right? No, he was asking... <laughs> You know, where do I work and do I get out in the sun? And I heard, do you spend a lot of time in the dark? And I was like, yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, too much probably. How about stress? Is there a lot of stress in your life? And yeah, this secret was becoming almost impossible to cover up. And I was still trying to cover it up. He gave me some ointment and he said, well, I want you to take this ointment and apply it like every hour on the hour all day long. Just Everywhere. keep yourself lotioned up with this. And I, when I say I was covered head to toe, I mean every part of me. To put the lotion on, I would have to get fully undressed. So it was unlikely I was going to do that eight times a day. It just wasn't. And so the lotion treatment failed because I wasn't dedicated it's to like it. It's like a gallon tub of lotion. No, it wasn't. But or you just like have a It was a cream. Survey. It was a cream. It was probably a steroid cream, but it was a cream. And then I went back to him and he says, so it, I said, it's not working. And he says, okay, well, how about we give you a steroid shot? And I was like, well, why don't we start with that? <laughs> and he gave me a steroid shot and it went away. And he said, but the downfall with the steroid shot is that this, it might stop it. It might be done, but if it's pervasive, it'll come back. And lo and behold, three weeks later, I was covered again, head to toe. So I went back into it. I said, what do I do? I, I really want, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I need to get this dealt with. It's my spots are showing everywhere. And he said, well, let me take you across the clinic. And he took me across the clinic and there was this room. And we walked into the room and there was this giant machine that looked like the chamber that Darth Vader steps out of in Star Trek or Star Wars. I know my Star, Star Wars. Yeah, Star I was Trek. about to say, you're the Star Wars fan. I know, I can't Star I Trek that. over here. Empire Strikes Back. I'll get more specific. Or and Rogue One. He says, this is called the light box. And he said, what the light box does 
is it's full of ultraviolet tubes. But he said, this is different. These aren't the ultraviolet rays that you get in your lights above you. These are UVB bulbs, not UVA. And the difference is UVA will put light out. But UVB is like the sun. It will not just cook you on the outside, but he said UVB will go through your skin and kind of cook you from the inside out. <laughs> and he said, so this is going to be a very painful process. You're going to get very burnt, but it will ultimately cure your psoriasis. Amazing. And so I showed up for my first treatment. The nurse showed me into the room. She says, we're going to set the clock on the, on the machine to 45 seconds. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm giving up my whole day to be over here. 45 seconds. Crank this thing up. Let's, let's, let's do three <laughs> minutes. Let's do five minutes. Why, why only four? Nope. She said, only 45 seconds. And she's then pointed to a little button inside that said, emergency stop. And I'm like, what am I getting myself into here? <laughs> so I step inside. She, when you're ready, hit a button and it just lights and it flooded with light. I mean, it was so bright. You have to close your eyes almost because it's so bright. I stood in there for 45 seconds and then it went ding. And at the end, I looked at my pale, splotchy skin and nothing had changed. And I said, well, this is probably a worthless process. She said, you do okay? And I said, yeah. And then I went home and I was supposed to go three times a week. I went home and that night about three in the morning, I got up and I looked in the mirror. I had to go to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and I was completely burnt, like just to a crisp, just in so much pain. 45 seconds in that machine just roasted me. And so I went back on Wednesday and she said, how'd you do? And I said, I am, I'm hurting. She goes, okay, good. Well, we're turning it up to a minute. And I said, no, no, please. She goes, nope, we are. And so she turned it up and we did a minute. And then the first two weeks of that process, uh, I got so sunburnt that I got those fever sunburns, you know, where your body's trying to heal itself. And I was feeling sick and achy and, um, but I stuck to it. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this at about three and a half weeks. I started showing up and my sunburn was turning to this gorgeous tan. I was starting <laughs> to look golden brown. And at the end of six weeks, not only was I beautifully tan, but my spots were all gone. There were none left. That's the story. The analogy that I've drawn from that through my experience in life is that a lot of times we try to fix things on our own. A lot of times we, we try to cover up our blemishes, but it's not until we seek out the right physician and apply the recommended medication the way he's intended that we can actually start to heal. And in this case, the medication was light. And so I love that analogy that the light of Christ in our lives is what heals. The light that comes through the healing of the atonement is what purifies. You could call it the refiner's fire, but you come out the other side spotless. I just love that. Uh, I also love thinking about the fact the first time I got in there, just how bright it was. But the more I allowed myself to be in that light, the more comfortable it became, the more I wanted to be there. And by the time I was done with my treatment, I would spend five, six minutes in the box. It wasn't 60 seconds. It was getting more and more every time. And my tolerance became higher and higher to that light. And I love that thought because the more time we spend in the presence of God, the more we become like him, the more we want to be like him and the more we can appreciate that. So that's my, that's my light box story. Just super tan, just in the presence of that's God. Me. Super, not anymore. <laughs> not, oh, yeah. to, not, not until uh, the spring starts. Before you go on your next Disney cruise, you just uh, go <laughs> yeah, back just to go visit Bishop Ritchie. The, the psoriasis is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't battle it much anymore. I still occasionally get it on my head. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I, I do pretty well with the psoriasis. All right. So I like that analogy a lot of the light box. And I, I particularly enjoyed how Casey shares that we get used to light with time. Uh, it reminds you of the scriptures where they talk about here a little, there a little we receive light and it's, it's not all at once and it shouldn't be all at once. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, just like responding to what you were saying. Yeah. Like, I, th I think, I think that's true. I think a lot of times we're kind of like, I should study my scriptures for a half an hour, but I don't, you know, like it's like you almost don't want to sometimes. And then once you get into it, you're like, Oh, that was really good. You know, <laughs> like the next day you're like, I could do that again. You know? Um, I feel like the more, the more time we spend there, like he said, the more comfortable we get. Another thing I really liked, he was talking about, um, that sometimes we look for 
we look for fixes in all the wrong places, right? Mm. And um, I think sometimes we have trials or or issues or problems or we're just in the middle of this giant storm and and we're just looking for the solution in a lot of the wrong places. Um, and I think if you really look back and be like the times where you were able to solve your problems, like how did that come? And it's usually because you're turning to Christ, right? Like he expects you to do things too, to kind of help in the process and and to not just idly wait for him, you know, but at the same time, if we're not turning to him first, then we're probably looking in the wrong place and it's going to take us longer to get there. Um, so if we can, you know, take that minute to be like, okay, well, what it, what would he want me to do? Like, I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to find out, like, what is the direction I can go with this? And if nothing else, every time I do that, I do feel that peace that we were talking about before. Um, even if I, I haven't found the answer for a while, you know, like, it's going to take longer to kind of go through that process. But I I always have that peace that comes if I turn to him first. So I, I like that you brought that up. And I didn't, I didn't know we were going to go there. But I think that Satan often does try to attack us when we're at our weakest. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it, in fact, let's just say most of the time, most of the time when you see somebody who's struggling, it, it's not that they're just trying to do bad stuff. I, I think it's that they're going through something tough and then Satan comes in and says, you know what would cure that? A little pornography, mm-hmm. little illicit drug use, you know, treating people poorly. Whatever you want to say, he, he just he tries to offer us an easy solution, and a lot of the time we just jump in hook, line, and sinker, right? And it, it's not until we turn to the the physician of our soul, really Jesus, that that we're able to find relief because everything Satan offers, it's a quick fix, it's excitement, temporary relief, but it it never lasts. Yeah. Or even sometimes I think he kind of pushes us to think we can do it all ourselves. Like yeah. Casey was saying, like, well, it'll just go away. I'll be fine. Like, I can handle this. I can use these home remedies. I can fix this problem myself, <laughs> right? I think Satan will jump in and do that, too. Be like, oh, you can do this yourself. You don't need anything else. And and sometimes that's an innocent thing that we yeah. think about ourselves. Like, well, I'm tough. Like, I can handle that. And that's, that's totally innocent. Maybe not Satan involved there. But um, it still seems like the more we can use that little bit of humility and say, actually, I would do this a lot better if he was helping me. I need to ask for that. And I need to humble myself and be like, bring the, I need a miracle here. And I've, I've actually started kind of praying more in that kind of way for the things that are, I'm struggling with. It's like the brother of Jared, he didn't just say, take us somewhere safe. He's like, I want a promised land. Can we have a promised land? You know? So I feel like we have to ask for the promised land sometimes. And I think it's okay to pray for the miracle, even if it's going to be a weight, you know, like, and then I, then I start seeing like the little things are like, oh, that is kind of miraculous. It's very small, but like, that's a miracle in my own life. So. Yeah. I like, um, why you can think like you try to do the quick fix, but you're still going to have the problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to learn, um, learn from that situation. But I think, I I don't know, my, my thoughts are all scattered. Like, the the problem can still be there, but we can get rid of the problem quicker if we learn faster <laughs> yeah. to follow uh, Christ, yeah. to, to turn to Him in those situations. Um, so yeah, I don't. Sometimes that can be painful, right? Yeah, like Casey sunburn. Yeah, and some yeah. yeah. I was just thinking of sunburn over my entire body. Good grief. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes we need to have those little setbacks to kind of make us stronger to get to the end point. I think. Oh. Huh. I was I was itching and scratching my skin during that whole story, <laughs> not gonna lie. So this is our next clip, and we were just talking about this a little weird hearing yourself on a podcast. Yeah. What is what is that experience like? I've got my own feeling, but what is what is your experience like, Tina? I don't know. It's strange. Well, first of all, you don't think you sound like that, right? Like inside your head, you sound different than what you always do when you're recorded. So that's kind of weird, but it's also just kind of strange. I don't know. It, I always think the episodes where I hear myself comment, I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> you know, we were just talking about, you know, do you think actors ever watch their movies more than once? You know, they go to the premiere, but do they actually watch them more than that? And I don't know. It, it feels kind of surreal, right? Yeah, totally does. And so we're speaking of that subject, we're going to go to a clip from your episode, Tina. Um, 
and I'll, I'll set this up in a minute. I do sympathize with you because you listen to yourself on the podcast or something like that. And it's just, it's, it's not only, I don't sound like that, but it's kind of like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I expected more of my, <laughs> my voice, I guess. But, um, I, I'll spin it a little bit in a positive way because for me coming back on some episodes and, and I'll, I'll do my own sometime this next season, but I think it just remind yourself of your own testimony too, and your own beliefs here in a recording. And I, I think that can be a pretty special thing. Um, so I, I picked a story. I, I listened to your episode again, and I, I picked a story that you shared from grade school. And this was when you had gotten into saying some bad words, which I'll have to admit that is something I can I can sympathize with you on. Uh, something that I struggled with during grade school and maybe high school, and maybe if my kids bother me in a particular <laughs> way. So we'll we'll go to that clip and we'll react to it. Something happened in the fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I want to hear more about. In the fourth grade, I <laughs> yeah. I got in this phase of of swearing. Like it was really big and my friends and they were telling inappropriate jokes and it was just a big deal. And I remember not really feeling good about it, but I remember doing it quite often. And then one day I was riding in the car with my mom and she was telling a story to one of her friends about something that happened to her when she was a kid. And I don't know if she was just super in tune or if she knew what I'd been doing at school. I don't know. Like moms are weird like that but she was telling her friend she said oh yeah i did this thing and and my mom defended me and she said oh no not cindy she would never do that <laughs> and like in that moment in my head i was like whoa my mom can't say that about me right now she can't say oh no tina she would not do that um and it had a really big impact on me in the fourth grade since that day i have always made sure that swearing has never been something that comes out of my mouth and I think that's a struggle for some people but for me since that day when I made that decision it just makes sense in my head and I remember in high school even because we always you know we have things that we say instead you know and I think mother of pearl was one of my ones that I said a lot in high school and I remember one of my friends going oh we know what you're really thinking I was like actually that's exactly what I'm thinking and I think it's because I had made that decision and because I had put that into practice that those things don't even run through my head. And I've always found that as a um, blessing. And I'm pretty sure my mom was in tune. Like she knew that I needed to hear that somehow. All right, Tina, I know that was, I know that was an important story to you. And I, I think for me, what was touching is the fact that it was something that I I'm struggling with how to say that. We we might view cursing as more of a mild offense sometimes, you mm -hmm. know. Well, but you could tell that for you it, on a personal level, it was so important and almost fair to say, kind of goes beyond the thing itself. I I think that it it was more a matter of principle and and who you were becoming in that story that you were telling you yourself about Tina Marchand. So, yeah. but expand. Tell me more. Oh, I think that's true. I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking about a few other, you know, key moments that I could look back on that have shaped who who I am now and who I want to be. Um, and I've, you know, in childhood, I think we have re we have regrets. <laughs> I have regrets for sure. Um, but that was a key moment when it changed who I would become. And it's, and I think you were right. It's, it's more than just the thing, you know, the thing is kind of the manifestation of, of that process, but it goes deeper than that. And, um, really shaping, um, how I view integrity. Um, and I think self value, like I, I really do value that about myself that I have that ability um, to do that. And that I think that moment shaped it. And I was thinking in my patriarchal blessing, it, it mentions really quickly just a part that says, you know, basically that that I need to conduct myself in a way that won't embarrass my me or my family yeah. um, or the church. And I think that's always been 
in my mind. So I love that the the Lord knew that that just needed to be said out loud for me, that I was already doing it. And it says that in there, you know, we're, we're proud, you know, the Heavenly Father loves you for what you're already doing. And then just a reminder that that that's going to be an important part of who I am to to think about that. Um, sorry, I'm all choked up. Um, to think about that often in my interactions with people. And I can see the change that's happened since I was in elementary school, since I went through, you know, those rough years in middle school and and then into high school and how that's kind of shaped my attitude towards other people. And I'm not perfect at it. Like, I got lots of work to do, but um, that's always been something that's in the back of my mind. Like, you need to conduct yourself in a way that the people could look at you and say, yeah, you know, like, she, she's a member and she has values and she follows Christ. Like, those are those are big for me. So. I really like that. It reminded me of our lesson today. We talked about the President Nelson's talk called Peacemakers Needed. Mm. And he says, one of the easiest ways to identify a true follower of Jesus Christ is how compassionately that person treats other people. Oh. And um, I think Tina is one of those great examples of being compassionate. And you can see through her actions and how she treats other people that she is a true follower of Jesus Christ. And one one of those other things I was thinking about was, can our Heavenly Father say, oh, that's not Camille. Camille wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah. you know, would Jason do that? No, he wouldn't do that. Like, I think trying to make him proud of our actions and also our parents proud of our actions and representing Jesus Christ is important in our lives. Yeah. Remember who you are. Gosh darn it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So the next clip we have is from Kirsten Woodward's episode. And there are a lot of good stories here. So I could have picked any. And there were some funny ones. So maybe we'll put that in a blooper reel thing or or whatever we decide. But one that stood out to me was a story. It was actually a, another redo tina another thing that she regretted or wanted to do different and this was about her dad and they had a date set up where her and her dad were in a group to go with some schoolmates and, and view haley's comet which haley's comet only passes by once every several decades i think and so it was a big thing and she ended up not doing that, and we can listen more in the story, but as we react, I'll kind of talk with you more about why this was an important moment for the show and also a, a moment for the podcast in general. Well, I was in fourth grade when Haley's Comet came through, and it was a really big deal. And our school had a special field trip at night where they brought out telescopes and different things to watch Haley's Comet. And so... We all showed up at the school that at night and my dad was going to be a chaperone and they divided us into different groups. And I remember the popular kids all coming up to me and saying, you should come with our group. And so I told my dad I didn't want to go with him and I was going to go with the popular group. And so we went and we drove. And, and the crazy thing is, is I have no memories of actually watching Haley's Comet. I remember being in a field and I remember driving in a van and hanging out with the popular kids, but I don't have any memories of the comet. So then we went back to the school and, or I got dropped off at home and I went in and my mom was there waiting for me. And I was going on and on about how I got to hang out with the popular kids. And I noticed that she was really quiet. And I, at some point it came out that every single person that had been in my dad's group had abandoned him for a different group. And so my dad had just come home by himself. And I felt horrible. And the, every single one of those people that was in that popular group ended up not having a friendship with them within a very short period of time, within a few years. And there's something about popular people that are often it's the most cutthroat group. They will pretend to be the best of friends, but they're often vicious to each other and backstabbing. 
And so I saw all of that happen. And so if I could go back in time and I think, what would it have been like if it would have just been my dad and I and been able to share that once in a lifetime moment and watch that. And I even looked up a past couple of years ago, like when is Haley's comic coming through again? And I don't know that my dad would be alive. I mean, he is right now, but we'll see. But I think it's, if I remember right, it's quite a bit of ways away. And it's just one of those things that I've just always thought to myself, you know, be careful about choosing the people that you surround yourself and the sacrifices that you make. Are they worth it? Yeah. Are those people worth it? Would oh. they be the ones that will be with you in the end? Was your uh, dad uh, at that time really looking forward to watching Haley? I comic? think so. I think so. It was just if something too that he had set aside time for us. Yeah. Um. He was. He often had a, a busy schedule, but there were certain things that he set aside time to do with me, and that was one of those times. And I, I wasted it. So. Yeah. Mm. So when okay, so when you did that, did you like feel like a good, like a thump in your heart when yeah, your mom stick told you to that, my stomach? Mm. Yeah. And so, was there anything in the near future after that point that you're like, I'm gonna do this with my dad? Yeah, and it, this is the irony. So it's gonna sound really funny, but we built a dollhouse together, and it's in my house right now. My <laughs> my husband's probably like, why do we have this? <laughs> but my father and I built this dollhouse together. He even took a knife and hand carved the wooden planks in the floor. Mm. We chose different things together, different furniture. He's he's a painter. He's a craftsman. He he does a little bit of everything. He like hand painted some of the paintings that go on the walls. And we like chose it all together. And it sounds like such a silly thing. But when I look at that, it's hours of time that we put in together. Yeah. and something that will go for the next generation. And so it was it's usually things like that working in his workshop or you know making things by wood or painting we would do painting projects together, art projects together. We love to visit museums, that was our big thing. And just share an artwork and he just has a way of looking at the world that kind of inspires me and he sees it differently, so. Nice. Yeah. So it all was not lost, but if I could go back in time, Haley's comment would be. Yeah. Then you have time to talk to him afterwards and just tell me you're sorry for what happened. Yeah. we. I don't think I did it in the moment. I was kind of a stubborn child. <laughs> and I didn't want to admit I'm, my mistakes. We're figuring that out a little yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we. I think we've had that conversation next. Or I'll have to send him this podcast. and then. <laughs> yeah. What I loved about this moment on her episode is... I I realized at the time that this podcast not only was a way for people to record their own testimony, but it was also a lot of the time a unique opportunity to share their testimony and their feelings with their family that they hadn't before. And so I remember talking with Kirsten, for example, at the end of this episode, she said, I'm going to actually share this with my dad. And since then, not everybody, but I think most people that have come on, they end up sharing their episode with everybody in their family. And I, I thought that was such a cool thing. And it was, I could feel a little bit of a momentum shift in the direction of the show when she came on at that time. What do you think, Camille? What, what, what was your reaction to Kirsten's clip? I don't, it reminds me of, there's a part, I think we were talking about patriarchal blessings. In my blessing, it says to ensure that no one loves your mom and dad more than you do. Mm. And um, I didn't I didn't get my blessing until I was about 16. I don't know, that um, little reminder is something that I, I tried to um, show my parents. My mom has since passed away, and I hope... I hope I did a good job of letting her know that I love her. I could do better about calling my dad, but we have this relationship where it's like we know each other loves each other, and it's like a bonus if we call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, my dad will often butt dial me, and so I'm like, oh, my dad's calling, and he's like, I called you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake, and then we'll like end up talking you know, for, for a while. And anyway, it was just – Something I try to teach my my boys, like family first, always choose family over friends. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. I didn't even think about it that way. Um, I was just thinking that I love the regret stories. I think I've mentioned that before when I'm on – because I think it's just because 
I love to see change, you know, and I love to mm-hmm. see um, the things that um, people learn and and value from their experiences. And and I think that was a big one for her, you know, kind of funny. It was in fourth grade, too. But yeah. <laughs> we were talking about that must be a pivotal time. Yeah. Yeah. time in life. There's lessons to be learned for sure. So little. <laughs> but um yeah, I love to see that change in that the the lesson that she learned there was, you know, surround yourself with the people that are gonna matter the most. And and I do think we sometimes forget that in our own families. Like we some it, they're the easiest people to to not pay attention to or or to be short with or or to let our frustrations out, you know, that's we often do it to them the most because we're most comfortable with them, which should be kind of opposite almost, you know. Uh, sometimes I think about, you know, how would I treat, you know, if this person was a client or if this person was, you know, a, a stranger that I'm meeting for the first time, it's a friend of a friend. Like, how would I treat that person? And am I even coming close to that, you know, with the people that I love? I think that's kind of a good standard, but I I just love listening to regret stories, even though like the regret kind of hurts, but mm. I love the the learned lessons. I, I do too. It's one of my favorite things. And I I think I get kind of mixed responses on those. I'll, I'll get a regret story, but I'll also get a kind of standard, oh, well, everything I've done, even if it was the wrong thing I learned from and I grew, so it's not, I don't regret it. And I kind of think man, what's that like? Yeah, I still, re- <laughs> I still regret. Because I still regret. regret. Yeah. And I, I like them because it, it's not that we didn't learn from them. It's not that we didn't become better. I, I think it's just a nice moment to reflect on who we were back then and who we are now and how that's changed. So I, I love that clip from her as well. We hope you enjoyed listening to volume one. And there'll probably be four or five volumes by the time we get done of the greatest hits of season one of the Connection podcast. We've had so much fun making this a reality over the past six months. And we're going to release these greatest hits episodes every few days until we start season two, which will be sometime mid-August. So until then, everybody take care. We look forward to connecting with many of you soon. And remember, if you do share the podcast in some significant way, either on social media or other means, let me know about it. We do have some swag rolling out, and I would be happy to reward one of you if you uh, go out and share that with family member, with friends, whoever. Uh, We want the show to be able to reach and help people as much as possible. All right, take care.